Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 135 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 15th, 2010. The Trojans are 2-0. It's a little shaky 2-0, but they are 2-0 undefeated going into the season. Game 3 against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They're traveling there. They'll travel to Washington State and then they'll come back home. This week we've got a really good show for you on the podcast. We're going to talk about that Virginia game. Some of the pluses, some of the minuses, the negativity that's kind of been around the program and around the team, a lot of the talk. We have a bunch of questions about that. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We've got a bunch of email questions to get to today. Or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755. We like people to call in. You can leave a voicemail. We'll play that voicemail on the podcast and answer your question so you can hear your voice on the podcast with Coach or myself or Dan or whoever answering your question. And speaking of Coach, we do have Coach Harvey Hyde always joining us in the first segment. Coach, how are you doing today? Ryan, I'm doing great. I'll tell you, whenever you're 2-0, you got to be positive about it. Yet there are some concerns. And uh, if you have any questions, and I know you have questions from people who call in and email you and so on, we'll be happy to answer any of their questions. And remember, this is just our opinion on what we see and what we think. So, I know one thing for sure, Southern California Ticket Service, they are fantastic. They definitely are. That's not our opinion. That's a fact. Uh, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. And we hear Cece back there. What, she likes Southern California Tickets, too. 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for concerts, the theater, and, of course, sporting events. There's still some baseball going on, Coach, but lots of football, too, if you need tickets for that. Give us uh, Southern California Tickets a try. And I want everyone to know, last week when I was at the Coliseum, People kept coming up to me, and they kept saying, what happened to your dog, Cece? What happened to your dog, Cece? Well, Cece, I've been keeping out of the room for a while or taking her for a walk before the show, but today she's here. So I want everybody to know she is fine. She is back communicating with all of you out there and all of your dogs and so (laughs) on. So Cece's going to be in the room with me today, so I apologize to you out there that uh, it annoys uh, if you hear Cece barking, but she's my dog. That's and, great. Uh, she's a part of our family, and that's the way it goes. <laughs> hey, Co- Coach, you mentioned the the opinion thing. Before we get into this whole game stuff, there was an interesting post on the Peristyle this week, and uh, it, I think it was uh, definitely a minority opinion, but someone was on there basically saying that the staff of uscfootball.com, why is the team looking so bad? Were you guys telling us this is how they look? They looked a lot better than they did, and now you know, just so you could you know build up your subscription numbers or get people excited and stuff like that. And I, I know... For you, it's same thing with me. I mean, we're not we're trying to tell you what we see, what our opinions are. We have, you know, access to information when we're out there on the practice field or when we're out there uh, watching off season workouts or talking to players, talking to coaches. I mean, that's the information we have. We're not in the film room. We don't know what's going on. I mean, if you see Alan Bradford rip off eighty yard touchdown runs in practice, that's all you can say. Now, if he doesn't do it in the game. I mean, it didn't mean it didn't happen in practice, but I just want to let people know we are just trying to give you our objective opinion. If they don't look good in practice or they don't look good in the game, that's what we're going to say. And if they look good, we'll tell you. It doesn't always correlate to the results on the field, but we just have to share what our opinions are from what, you know, the information we have. We try to put it all together and, and base it against things that we've seen before with other teams or this team in the past. You kind of you know, tabulate all that information in your brain and kind of spill your opinion on, on the podcast or on the website, and that's kind of what we do here. You're right. Uh, I had someone come, come up to me and say, Coach, you're PC. I said, I'm PC, I'm PC. I said, excuse me, I don't, I don't know what PC is. Is that a compliment, or does that mean I'm, I should go down the toilet somewhere? And he <laughs> said, no, you're politically correct. What means so political correct on everything you say? I said, hey, have you listened to all of our shows? I said, I'll tell you, I just give you my honest opinion. Sometimes I'm afraid that I go overboard on sometimes when I'm critical, as far as in the past years and maybe some this year. But all I do is tell you exactly the way it is. 
Sometimes I'm critical, sometimes I'm not. But I'm not going to be critical just to be critical because everybody else wants me to say critical things. I'm just going to say what I feel. Sometimes I might say things that are critical or bad about the team. The people might say, well, what's he talking about? That's not correct. But I'm not going to do that. And I'm just setting the record straight right now from the beginning. I'm not PC. I'm just Harvey Hyde giving you my opinion. My opinion isn't the gospel, but it is part of what I see on the field and at practice. So after saying that, we want to, we tell you all out there, we love you. And uh, we hope you keep listening. And uh, keep giving us the comments because we'll try. I really value your comments when you say things like that. But I really didn't know what PC meant, but now I do. You are p- not politically. I wouldn't say you're politically correct, coach. So that's the thing. But yeah, I mean, it, and you know, people have choices. You can listen to or read different stuff on the team and and, and listen to different things. Um, so you know, we appreciate you guys coming in here and up with us. And and like coach said, we're just trying to give you what our opinions are, what we see. I mean, I'm out of practice every day. You talk to Coach Kiffin every day. You talk to players and stuff, and just you know, you you base your opinions on all that. It's not always right, you know. I thought back in the day, Coach Matt Castle was better than Matt Leinart, and I, I said after spring ball, Castle was going to be named the starting quarterback. Well, Leinart gets named the starting quarterback and wins the Heisman. But now Matt Castle's starting in the NFL, so maybe that's saying so. I don't know, Coach. <laughs> you didn't say when. That's the thing, see. So you're right, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's get started here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, first of all, I mean, we got a bunch of questions to get to. But I just want to get your opinion on the game. Go, you know, going forward, there was a lot of talk about the the offense kind of uh, regressing a little bit and the defense getting better. Special teams kind of took a step back as well. What were your overall thoughts on that game? Well, you know, everybody went into the game, uh, including myself, thinking it was going to be a blowout, not knowing much about Virginia. I knew very little about Virginia. I knew they had beaten Richmond. Richmond always had an outstanding team, and that's where Mike London came from, the head coach now in Virginia. I thought Virginia was a very well-coached team. They didn't beat themselves. In fact, they were in the game throughout the game, as we all know. In fact, if they hadn't had that penalty called on the punt, who knows, it might have been a different game. And who knows if the quarterback... uh, would have run uh, Vierka, or whatever his name is, Verica, would have uh, run the ball in instead of throwing that ball where McDonald intercepted. It might have been a different game, and it might have been a different game if if you uh, didn't have a whole day on that long touchdown pass. But, you know, those that's part of football. All that's part of football. Uh, but everybody anticipated, and everybody always looks at the odds and says, oh, they're a 19-point favorite or a 20-point favorite. And when you look at the preseason publications and so on, you see, SC being picked at the top of the uh, Pac-10, and, and you see Virginia pick last in the ACC, and you say, oh, this, this isn't a contest. But it was a contest. Uh, I thought Virginia played a near-perfect football game, except for those few mistakes I said. Uh, I think that everyone brings their game when they play USC. Uh, they know that it is a huge market out here. They know recruiting is unbelievable out here. They know that it was a national televised game, and for USC, that's just getting to be a regular thing. A national televised game to USC is something that's every week. And it doesn't really have the same emotional effect that it does with another team. And I really think Virginia, in a way, outplayed USC. I'm very disappointed with USC's play, especially this last week. Uh, I'm not going to make excuses. I made some excuses the first week as far as their defensive play against the University of Hawaii, saying that they couldn't prepare for that type of offense going half speed and not going full speed and settling up and knowing how to tackle and they bring you something you can't prepare for unless you see it live well i made that excuse as far as the defense was concerned and the offense played very well against hawaii but you know hawaii's uh, defense is not that of what virginia proved to be i thought virginia's defense looked quick virginia's defense played angry they put hits on you they were never intimidated the whole game they played on USC side of the football, USC really did not have uh, a running game whatsoever, and I felt that the coverage that that Virginia played when they played man was uh, darn good. Now, they did break down, but they did cause uh, USC to go to the passing game in the, in the end of the second, or the end, towards the end of the second half, and it was very worked, it worked very well, and, and I'm starting to think during the week that maybe that is the type of football team USC is. They have great skilled players. Maybe they ought to start back and, and throw the football. And uh, the run should maybe come off of the pass because they're lining up trying to hammer people 
with the run, and when they find some type of force against them, it becomes very frustrating for them, and, and all of a sudden there seems, seems to be a panic within the, the team itself and among the fans because they're not running the ball up and down the field, and they don't continue running the football. I didn't think the offensive line played as well as it should have played against this defense, uh, and uh, I, I think that they struggled throughout the game. Defensively, I thought they again got very fatigued. I mean, I'm very surprised that a defense can be sucking it up as much as it's sucking up it, it up during the game. I really don't. They're, I know they're on the field a lot. Uh, the offenses keep moving the chains. Uh, they ran right at USC, which should be their strong point, and I didn't see people playing on their side of the line. I didn't see linebackers making big hits. Uh, I saw first downs, and I saw people moving the football. And no one expected that, I, including myself. Uh, really, when you're realistic about it, SC was lucky to get that win, 17-14. to 14. In fact, when you look at the yardage, Richmond gained more yards on, on Virginia than USC. Now, that's not supposed to happen. So that starts to become a downer. And, and after the game, you could see that they had won the game, but everybody was more or less down. You're not supposed to be down when you win but you could see it in the coaches' faces. You could see it in the players' faces. And, and I, to me, they look mentally and physically fatigued. Now, I talked about it on the pregame show. This team has been through a lot, but I don't think a lot of us has realized really the effect that it has taken on this team, both mentally and physically. I mean, even the event yesterday with Reggie Bush. Here they are being interviewed on the practice field. What do you think about Reggie Bush giving back the Heisman Trophy? It doesn't go away. This team cannot focus on what it's supposed to do. And uh, I think that it's really starting to take an effect. I really do. I, I had a chance to check with some people in Minnesota this week. They are saying this is the biggest game in their new stadium, or the, maybe the biggest game at Minnesota for the last how, how long? I don't know. In fact, the teams are exactly the same color. And what Minnesota is going to do, otherwise they'd be running around with the same identical helmet, the same identical uh, colored pants, the whole thing that Minnesota is going to change. They're going to wear their same helmet, but they're going to wear the dark jersey and they're going to go to a white pants rather than the gold pants so that teams, they can distinguish the players from one team to the other. So it's going to be a huge game back there. And this is a football team, Minnesota, that lines up and pounds you. Whether you believe this or not, I couldn't even believe the stat when I was talking with Minnesota. And they have, in their first victory over Middle Tennessee, they held the ball offensively. Listen to this. For 47 minutes of time of possession. 47 minutes. Wow. That, that is, I've never heard that before, ever. So uh, they are going to run right at USC. They're going to try to wear them down and so on. And uh, so we have to see what's going to happen. I read in today's paper, and excuse me for rambling on, but I read in today's paper that Lane Kiffin and them were making the comment that they're thinking about rotating more of their defensive linemen. And the reasons they're doing that is because they see that their linemen can't go 100%. If you notice, they're out of win. Uh, it looks like they're out of shape, so they're going to start rotating more of their defensive players you give them a break. As far as linebackers are concerned, they're not going to rotate, but they just don't have the depth to go ahead and rotate, and Kennard needs all the reps that he can get at the middle linebacker, and it's amazing that Gallipo didn't play one play last week. So uh, there's a lot of question marks. Let's don't you know hide around the, the corner. There's a lot of question marks right now with the USC team. Are they fatigued? Are they tired? Maybe their talent has been over-evaluated. Maybe uh, the offseason has really, really taken a toll on them. Uh, who knows? But uh, maybe the end of last season took a big toll on them, on, on the way they played and the way they got beat and so on, and, and with the transition of coaches and so on, with really different characteristics, the two coaches, the two head coaches, one very emotional, very upbeat, and one more subdued and more into the game and, and not as emotional. So there's been a lot of changes there. So this team's been through a lot. Uh, and uh, these next two games or so are going to be very important because they're games that are winnable, and uh, the University of Washington, when they come here, is coming. Uh, that's going to be their bowl game in Southern California because all of the recruiting is done in Southern California. Uh, Sarkeesian is coming back to Southern California, 
and it is going to be a war. And if they're not prepared for this war, then it could be embarrassing. All right. Well, Coach, let's get to some of these questions here. Um, was, was that long enough? That, that was long enough. <laughs> Coach's short summary of what happened in Virginia. No, it's good. And obviously your opinion there. Well, let's, uh, let's get to some questions. You mentioned some of the negativity that was going on. We do have a question about that. This is a voicemail question. Remember, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755. That is the phone number. Just call and leave a voicemail, and you can do it just like this. We'll play your question on the air. Ryan and Coach and the rest of the staff, thank you very much. Long-time listener, first-time caller. This is Ed from San Diego. My question is this. At what point should uh, people be concerned with the attitude of the, the Trojans? Um, they're 2-0, and and yeah, they can do things better, and I wish they would. However, at the same time, uh, they are 2-0. and I'm kind of concerned that they're hanging their heads too low and that they're, they're losing confidence. At what point does that affect the game? Uh, thank you for the, uh, the time and uh, appreciate the answer. Have a good one. Bye. Well, you know, I agree with you. It does affect you. And there's a point of when you could be too negative too long. Uh, Lane Kippen addressed this week he's not going to work on penalties. He's just not going to talk about it anymore. Players know they played the game for many years. They know the rules. They know the regulations. And if I keep talking about it, I'm wasting practice time. You know, you just got to be good enough to overcome penalties. I've had teams that had as many, I don't know, I'm not proud of this, but as many as uh, 150 yards a game. But they were good enough to overcome these penalties. They were aggressive. They were aggressive penalties. And and certainly we didn't like them, but we were good enough to overcome them. And if you're good enough to overcome penalties like that, you, you know, you say, we don't want to do it, but we'll overcome them. Some of the penalties right now that are happening uh, are, are ridiculous. I mean, uh, hitting players out of bounds and, you know, certainly I don't want to get into the penalties, but, you know, but I think he's addressing it right. What are you going to do about it? They have officials that practice every day. You're out there, Ryan. You see it, making calls and so on. Most of them are just knucklehead type of plays, stupid plays. They're not thinking. They're trying to play aggressively. And I think they're flustered. When they make a play like that, they're trying to hit somebody. They're trying to do something, but... Again, they're they're doing it at the wrong time. They got to do it on the field or do whatever's necessary to win. Uh, as far as getting depressed, yeah, that can happen. Because when they walk around campus, you know, people tell them, "Great game, you guys look good." Or people say, "Hey, you know what happened?" Or their parents say, "What's going on at practice? Things aren't right." And they read in the newspaper that SC really's not playing well. That there might be changes here or this and that. Hey, listen, kids are kids. Remember, they have big bodies and so on. But they're kids. They're 17, 18, 19-year-old kids still. They're still maturing and so on. And they and when they hear a lot of negative things going on, it certainly does affect them. People say it doesn't affect them. They're crazy. They read all the same articles out there that everybody else reads. They, get, they form their own opinions. And then all of a sudden, they start doubting their abilities. And, and during the game, if things aren't going right, and they, they start to think, oh, here we go again. What are they going to say? We might lose this football game. We can't lose this football game. And then all of a sudden, they get tight, and they don't play, and so on. So, yes, you can be negative too much. You can say too many negative things about maybe we're being outcoached, we're being outplayed, we're being outhit, and so on. There's been games that I've had when we played terrible that I never even showed the film to the team. I would come off and I'd say, guys, there's no reason for us to look at that film. Because we're not going to get better looking at that film. I'd rather spend the time looking at who we're going to play next so we can be better against that team. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, psych in the game, a lot of psychology and coaching, a lot of it in the way you handle your players and, You've got to get your players that want to put out for you and play 100% and sell out. You've got to have your players want to win for you, want to get play hurt for you. Not that I'm advocating playing hurt, but I'm saying you want kids to want to be at practice. You want them to be in the meetings. You want them to look forward to the bus ride to the stadium and hear the sirens on the motorcycles that take you to the stadium. I used to tell the the policemen, when they'd take us, I'd say, just wind them sirens up a little bit more, even if you don't need to. And they'd say, yes, coach. I said, that's inspiring. It gets me ready to play, too. Because it makes you feel important. So you've got to feel important. I mean, uh, being a football player, being anything in life. So I agree. Uh, you can't be negative. You've got to be positive. And if you dwell on the negative too long, you become negative, And you get negative thoughts. All right. Well, thanks for that one. Um... 
let's see. Let's go to Jamal, coach. This is a kind of serious question. Um, he sent in a question before. He has a comment as well as a question. Do we seriously believe Lane Kiffin can survive the Pac-10? If you watch his game speeches uh, and he believes we can't fix the mistakes, we sh- then why shouldn't he be fired this year? Wow, pretty harsh. Uh, think about Coach Peterson at Boise State. He's getting the most out of his players. Why can't we? Those players they have from California were players USC didn't give scholarships to. We all expect a better coach team. No excuse for the athletes we have. What do you think, Coach Hyde? And Coach, I mean, I, I guess the big difference is Coach Peterson's been there for a while. I mean, Lake Kiffin went through the longest offseason in college football history and had two games. So I think, I think fans got to give him a little bit more time here. Well, you know, we sort of addressed this earlier when I rant and raved a little bit about, you know, what the team has been through and he, you know, and what he's been able to have to deal with. I, I don't know how much time of the day he has to deal with football. I mean, when you're a head football coach, you're in your office, you deal with the administration, you deal with the trainer, you deal with the academic advisor, you deal with the athletic director, you deal with parents, you deal with everything, especially when things aren't going well and with all these sanctions and appeals and everything else, man, and the media, you got a lot of things to do other than just coach football. Uh, And and I think that uh, Lane is a young coach, and I think Lane deserves the opportunity. I don't know who could have come in here and so far survived through all of the negative things that have happened to the football program at USC. It hadn't just been the play of the football team. How about the things away from the play of the football team? Even in the Los Angeles Times this morning, they they show all the listings of Mike Garrett and Pete Carroll's gone and this and that. I mean, it's a constant reminder of negative things that have happened. So, you know, and, you know, when Lane Kiffin talks about we're not happy about the way we coach, we're not happy about the way we played, it's because of his pride. They've been embarrassed. The defense was embarrassed in Hawaii. And, and, that, and when you have a lot of pride and you get embarrassed, it hurts you more. Even if you do win, you've been embarrassed, yet you won. Coaches have a lot of pride. Players have a lot of pride. But they work so hard into accomplishing their goals. Uh, I think it's a little early to even be giving that a thought. I, I really do. First of all, as I said earlier, uh, the cupboards aren't bare, but the car- cupboards certainly don't have the experience and the depth of what was there when Pete Carroll was there. It started to decline in the recruiting evaluations. It's down a little bit now. How can you only have five or six offensive linemen? How can you only have five or six linebackers that – are being talked about as far as players of the future. Yes, you do have a lot of great secondary players, but here you have a, a freshman uh, come in from uh, Florida, Roby, and, and start. Well, is that saying that he's got great? Or is that saying that the players you have that are all four- and five-star players back in the secondary were mistakes? I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. And I'm not saying that kid doesn't deserve to start. But what I'm saying, it's, it, I start to think about that, how many great players were left there for Lane Kiffin. So I know they have some great receivers. I really believe in their receiving core. In fact, I have said this before, and I'll say it again, they might have the best receiving core in the country, and I really believe that. They, they are great players. And, and running back-wise, they're very skilled, but as you know, this year it not is, it's not playing by committee. It's, it's uh, Wendell Tyler, he's the guy. Dylan Baxter, he's going to be the guy, and Sam Bradford's going to be the guy. And the rest of them, uh, who knows what's going to happen unless someone gets hurt. So they're thin in a lot of positions, and uh, they're going to, we're going to have to wait and see uh, just how this group develops and, and see if they get better. Remember, remember, you hope to get better every week. People weren't really satisfied with the Hawaii-Virginia victories because those players or those teams weren't rated high. Yet those teams brought their game. In Hawaii, that game in Hawaii was their bowl game. Virginia's game was their bowl game. Hey, this game at Minnesota is the golden goal for bowl game. So the Trojans always have to be a little bit better to play these type of teams because of the emotional games these people bring. So... Uh, there's, there's a lot of evaluating that's got to go on, a lot of evaluation of players, a lot of evaluations of offense and defense and what's best to run and so on. So we're going to have to wait and see. And and, uh, and I know uh, that Lane Kiffin certainly deserves more time than what, uh, you know, uh, what, two games? Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, all right. Thanks for that question, Jamal. Let's go to Kyle. Can you ask coach why our defensive ends and outside linebackers were unable to contain the perimeter on off tackle runs? Every time Virginia ran that play, it broke outside of containment quite easily for at least six to eight yards per play. That's from Kyle. He wants to know about containment on the outside. Kyle, I asked the same question. That's the same play that Stanford ran up and down the field last year. Uh, double team down and block down zone inside, pick up whoever's coming your way, kick out on the defensive end, pull the offside guard through to pick up the linebacker or the strong safety or whoever's the force, and the back runs right through there. Stanford went up and down the field with that same play last year. And, of course, people steal plays from everyone when they on the offseason they're putting plays together that work against the defense. It's exactly the same defense. And they saw the same thing. There wasn't any force. There wasn't any linebackers getting to the hole. There wasn't any scraping off of the middle linebacker getting there. He was getting picked up by the double team or where these, uh, whether a right guard or right tackle was driving the guy back where the linebacker couldn't scrape. The end got kicked out. They pulled through with the guard. There wasn't anybody in the hole. And the guy went up and down the field. That's the exact same play that was run by Stanford a year ago up and down the Coliseum floor. So, yeah, I'm asking the same question. How can that be? I think sometimes you have to mix it up. You have to pinch your end, which means you bring your end to the inside, which forces the guard to go outside and find the force, and you give them a different look so they don't know what to expect. And you, you, in the back, of course, reads the block of the fullback. If he hooks the end, he tries to break it to the outside, and, of course, the tackle then comes outside and picks up the force from the outside. But it's a play you're going to have to stop because you're going to see it. When someone can be successful on a play like that, you're going to see it this week. You watch. You're going to see it against Minnesota. Because when you can't stop a play, a team's going to run that play against you and make you stop it. It just makes sense. And when you stop it, then they're going to go to something that you adjusted to to stop that play, and they're going to counteract it. But you've got to stop that play. Otherwise, you're going to go up and down the field. You're going to see that play against Minnesota, the exact same play. Because Minnesota lines up, they're very physical. They run right at you. Minnesota's offensive coordinator was the quarterback coach of Wisconsin when Barry Alvarez was there. The defensive coordinator is Cosgrove. He was the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. When Barry Alvarez was there, you're going to see a Barry Alvarez type of team where they line up and pound you when they had Ron Dane in those backs. And that's what you're going to see. And you're going to see that type of power play all the time. You're going to see it against Washington. You're going to see it against every team that plays you until you stop it. So you can't blame teams. They say they can't stop that play. We're going to run that play. I'd run that play every down until you stopped it. Then I'd see how did they stop it and I'd counteract it. So, you know, uh, I agree with you. Whoever asked that question, I forgot your name. A damn good question because uh, I asked the same question. What's going on? All right, that was from Kyle, Coach. Kyle, thanks for that one. Kyle, uh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, last one. This is uh, Coach G. He has a couple observations and then a question for you, Coach. His observations are Barkley and Denard are too, uh, Kennard, I think he means, are too nice as leaders. They need to take charge with verbal intensity. Woods and Dillon exhibit that fire. He also says the linebackers need to fill the holes. They're a little too slow. And the defensive line stand up too often. They need to stay low and attack. He noticed the linemen watching when not on tackle what happened to pursuit all right so those are his observations and he wants to know coach between i don't know maybe you want to comment on those but he also has a question for you coach well yeah i agree with him i think i uh, i sort of uh, addressed that earlier when i said the defensive line isn't playing on their side of the ball they're not pursuing linebackers aren't in the place uh, what is it last game mcdonald got 15 16 tackles you're in trouble when a defensive back is making 15 16 tackles that means people are in the secondary running with the football or catching footballs or whatever. So, yeah, the linebackers aren't getting to the holes. They're not scraping off. They're getting pushed back too deep. They're not stepping up and closing holes. They're not making tackles. And uh, uh, I didn't even, you know, I don't want to say it like this, but I didn't even see a linebacker hardly make a play last week. I think Malcolm Smith made a couple, but not the way you're supposed to be. Your linebackers are supposed to be, you know, making most of your tackles and your defensive line is supposed to flush them over people over to you, but you're playing on their side of the ball. And I haven't seen the quickness on the defensive side of the football that I've seen in the past or the toughness. I haven't seen any real somebody smacking somebody on the helmet either or face butting somebody or, and I haven't seen that emotion yet on the football field 
as far as defensively and offense and on the sideline. I hate to say it like this, but I'm just saying what I see. Uh, and I and I like I said earlier, the team to me looks fatigued and tired. And I don't know if that's from mental fatigue or physical fatigue or maybe they're not in shape. I don't know. And I don't want to say that because I have no idea. But when I see a team sucking up like they were sucking it up and at the end of the games, both games, not only the Hawaii game, but the Virginia game down there at the end zone like that, they can't even barely get out of there. They're down in their three-point stance waiting for the offense to break the, the huddle. Then I become concerned. We're going to address that a little bit, Coach, with uh, Dan Weber. He talked to Coach Osmus, the uh, strength and conditioning coach, yesterday after practice, so we'll get some answers from Dan on that. But uh, Coach G's question was, what's the difference between a hybrid D, 3-4 D, or basic five-man front? What's the difference between what again? Say that again. He said a hybrid D, a 3-4, or a basic five-man front. So I guess he'd probably talk about a 5-2 or something like that. Well, you know, you used to call it the 34, which is you mean you have a nose guard, you have two tackles, then you have two outside linebackers and two inside linebackers. That's the 34. Uh, that defense was run. It used to be called the Oklahoma or Okie defense because that's the team that really made that defense uh, uh, famous, uh, the 34 defense. Then there's all variations for that. You know, you, you gap them, you slide guys down, you stack people to protect your linebackers. You slant off of them. I remember the Arkansas defense was a 34. I don't know how many people remember the Arkansas defense with Frank Broyles. You'd slant right, you'd stamp, slant left. You'd have a rover, a uh, strong safety type of guy playing away from the slant and playing the wide side and so on with zone behind it. There's so many variations that you can run. You can put a guy on the nose and put two linebackers in coverage. You can shove it all down, put your tackles on the guard and leave the nose guard there and move your linebackers out. You can go to all kinds of different looks with the 50 defense, but you have five linebackers and only three down down players. Uh, they used to call it the eagle defense. I don't know if people remember that when you used to slide your tackle down inside and play your linebacker behind that, and the tackle would slant to the inside, and the linebacker would take the off-tackle hole, which is a good way of playing the off-tackle hole with that power play. So it takes it away. But with the Eagle defense, if they trap the middle, which they don't trap anymore. Nobody runs a trap anymore. So they wouldn't really make a big difference. And what forced people out of that defense was they'd run a quick trap up the middle, and there's nobody in the middle to make the play because the linebackers are outside. So there's a lot of variations that you can do out of a 34 defense. Uh, they used to call it 54, 34, Oklahoma. There's different ways of calling that defense. Uh, so there's a lot of just different variations. You play zone behind it, you play man behind it. But whenever you play man defense, you got to put pressure on the quarterback. And that's one thing the coaches, the boys learned, uh, that you can't expect a player to cover a guy all over the field. The longer he has to look the field, the guy's going to get separation because you're not putting pressure on him. So if you play man defense, you got to pressure the quarterback. And uh, if you don't pressure the quarterback, you're going to get beaten. That's the biggest sin. All right, Coach. Well, thanks very much for all uh, the answers to questions. Thanks, everyone else, for sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And, uh, Coach, enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week, see what happens when USC goes to Minnesota. I will talk to you. And, you know, I don't want to admit this, but I'm going to tell you, the head coach at the University of Minnesota, Tim Brewster, once played for me at Pasadena City College. We played the Junior Rose Bowl that year. He was our, our captain. Then he came back, he went to the University of Illinois, he came back and was the captain of Illinois' team, coached by Mike White that played UCLA in the Rose Bowl. So uh, this is this is uh, uh, going to be a very interesting football game. It certainly will. That's great, Coach. Did you, you keep in touch with him? Oh, yeah, I talked to him last night. Oh, great, okay. Well, Coach, thanks to you, thanks to Southern California Tickets. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We'll talk to Dan Weber, get his thoughts on what was going on in practice this week and what he expects to see in Minnesota. on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, how's it going, man? Hey, good. Doing good. It's going to be another uh, kind of a short week with uh, the trip to Minnesota. So we've got, uh, I guess, three time zones, one direction uh, a week ago, and two time zones this direction, uh, the other direction this week. So uh, I guess it's not as bad. I was thinking about Hawaii. They had to go six time zones uh, last week to Army after the USC game. So uh, uh, thank God there are no uh, six time zone trips. <laughs> I think. I mean, that'd be like starting the game at, uh, you know, Eight in the morning, I would think, if you're Hawaii. It was eight, it was six in the morning, actually, for Hawaii. It was six. It was six. Oh, that's right, because that game really did start early. Yeah, that's right. It was because uh, Army likes to play those noontime. That's exactly. Oh man, yeah. golly. <laughs> so I give them credit. I know some people would say, "Oh, you know, they survived." Just surviving the trip, the next game after playing really well against USC, I didn't take that as a negative. Uh, I thought that was actually something of a positive. Uh, that's been the hard thing for, for Hawaii to make those kind of trips. Uh, I think what I saw that they, they, they're going to travel something like 37,000 miles this year. And when they go east, they kind of have to make it a two-day trip uh, uh, because uh, they basically can't get all the way in one day. Uh, and a lot of that, like if they go to Louisiana Tech or some of those places, uh, uh, you know, they've got a bus trip at the end. Even at Army, you got a, a decent amount of bus. So uh, give <laughs> give Hawaii credit just for just for surviving those. But you got to give USC credit too. They do make these trips uh, kind of like they're normal. Uh, and and you know, for most people, as we saw, you know, with Virginia last week, uh, they have to make all kinds of extra preparation. So. Uh, it's one of the things you have to always admire USC for from afar if you're being fair-minded about the program. They've really been willing to go out and play people everywhere and uh, and just see what happens. And uh, that isn't the case with an awful lot of big-name programs and big-name schools. They, uh, they haven't been willing to do that. So right. uh, well- if you're a USC fan, I think that's – one of the absolute great things about the USC program through the years. They're able to play play anybody anywhere, anytime. They don't seem to care about that. Huh? Well, Dan, no, I the, think they, they picked up – I think they realized it in, in conjunction with Newt Rockney and the Notre Dame people uh, how important that was back in, the, you know, the 1926 and whatever and, and creating both schools as national powers when they played one another uh, in Chicago and uh and out here and uh, and i think they they got it usc got it and i think uh they still get it so something to be uh so it's it's a good thing and it's kind of nice to be going to minnesota it's a little bit not that lane is ever kind of a uh you know sentimental guy but it is where he grew up it's the one place i think more than any uh where he considers home and where his dad was coaching at you know the vikings and he went to high school there and uh, so it is sort of a, a, a semi-homecoming, I think, for Lane. Yeah, and then Tim Davis is there. And actually, we just talked to Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment. Tim Brewster, the head coach, played for Coach Harvey Hyde at Pasadena City College, and he was a captain for their team and stuff. So they, they just talked last night. So there's definitely some connections there. Ah, that, that's good, because uh, last week there were so few, uh, almost virtually, virtually none, uh, you know, one maybe with Virginia. Uh, it's nice to be, and, and you get a sense when you you talk to Lane this week that there there really are some connections, and they feel, you know, feel connected. Uh, even though haven't played Minnesota since 1980, you do. There just is, and I know people have always sort of confused and or connected the uniform colors. They're not the same, but they're close enough uh, that people have always, uh, you know, considered that the two are are wearing uh, similar colors anyway. All right. Well, it's uh, one of the interesting things that Lane Kiffin said, kind of just, I, mean, I think it was just a question he was asked. He was talking about redshirting, and uh, there's something that Pete Carroll, it's it almost like he never wanted to redshirt anyone. He just wanted to get guys out on the field. And a guy like Kyle Prater, I don't think, would never, ever have redshirted under Pete Carroll. Even if he was only playing a few plays a game or something, I think they would have have a guy like that out there playing. It sounds like from what you know, Lane Kiffin's saying, if you're a true freshman and you haven't played yet, 
you're most likely going to redshirt. That means there's only, I think there's only like five or six freshmen that have played. Yeah, five, and I and I get, I gotta think if they had to do it over again, Marquise Ambles might not have played against Hawaii uh, because uh, he didn't play against Virginia, so that that. That would have gotten him down to four, uh, only four freshmen. Uh, you know, you got you know Dylan Baxter and Nikel Roby, Robert Woods, and uh, uh, and Christian Thomas has to be. I mean, they're so thin at, at defensive end. That of the three uh, tight ends that they brought in, uh, you know, Xavier Grimble has really been limited. He just had one of those terrible sprained ankles. It just doesn't get better, uh, and. Um, and Randall Telfair. So, you know, they've got some offensive, you know, they've got the, the three upper class, uh, you know, with uh, Red Ellison and Bla- uh, uh, Blake Ailes and, and Jordan Cameron. So, you know, they didn't have a big need there. So that does, you know, that makes some sense that the two uh, that are, that were going to be offensive uh, tight ends uh, aren't going to, aren't going to be needed at this time. And I guess there's always a chance that Grimble ends up as an offensive tackle anyway. So, uh, which would, you know, certainly be another year project. So, uh, you know, but Lane was pretty, you know, straightforward about it. And I think it seems comfortable for Prater. I mean, I got the sense that it works with him and his family. And I just think with his frame and all that, um, uh, another year of maturing physically, probably a good thing. So, uh, but yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, they're definitely looking to, you get the sense too, they're making more decisions as if the sanctions are going to stick. I mean, they're certainly trying to be as prepared as possible if they have to deal with the 30 scholarship loss, uh, because if they were only dealing with a 15 scholarship loss, I'm not sure they'd they'd be absolutely, you know, for example, saying we have to stockpile, you know, 11 of these freshmen, even if we get the, you know, the fairly big class that we're going to get next year. Uh, we, we just have to have ways of handling uh, if we get the, you know, the full scholarship loss. So you get the sense that the way they're talking, they think, oh, they're going to be prepared in, in case they get no reduction at all. I no, I agree with you. We'll have to see what happens there. And then uh I, I think um as far as Ambles goes, he could still redshirt. So if they don't play him anymore, I think they could still redshirt him, so that shouldn't be an issue. But we got a bunch of questions I wanted to try to get yeah, to. I, I'm sorry. Is that right? You they still could they, they still could even though he played the uh in the Hawaii game? I, I thought it was the within the first few games. Like you could play in the first couple of games, but you could still redshirt as long as he doesn't play in the like the, the latter three quarters of the season or something like that. I'll have to double check, but I thought that's what the rule was. Yeah, I, I know that's the rule if you get hurt. I, I, I'd be interested to see because other guys have lost a year uh, for one play, but that, that's, we need to check on that. Uh, but I get the sense that, uh, God, unless that rule, well, that's a good, we will check. Okay. We will definitely check. Um. Next, uh, we had a question from Jim. He wanted from Huntington Beach. Thanks for writing in, Jim. He wants to know. He's not an expert, but he he watched the first two games. He's surprised that Devon Kennard played all the snaps at middle linebacker. He was out of position on so many plays in both games. I think Gallipo should be seeing the field more. Uh, what do you think I about think, the whole its situation? I think their him? thought is. Uh, I've talked to Monty about this a couple of times, and uh, they are so impressed with the fact that here's a guy who was playing with his hand down as a defensive end to start last year, ended up as a Sam linebacker. Now he's their middle linebacker. I know they, they went through a fairly extensive like interview audition process to see if he had the right stuff to play as a middle linebacker. He looked more natural actually in the spring and in the fall and when the game started, for example, they will tell you he's doing a marvelous job in calling out the coverages and in all the uh, things you have to know, he's done really well there. Instinctively, they say he has good instincts. I'm, you know, I'm with Jim. I, at times, wonder where he is on a play. And you, you feel like a, a middle linebacker, 
you really want to seem in contact with people. And you see lots of plays where he's not in contact. I mean, it, that, you know, I, you don't isolate on him all the time, but there are just a lot of times where he doesn't seem to be there. I think their thinking is he needs to play a lot to get to where they want him to be. And he can't get that kind of experience uh, sitting down. They did say yesterday that um, they probably overdid that and they probably need to get Gallipo in there more. But the thinking has been get Kennard as many snaps, live game snaps, as they can possibly get him, try to get him up to speed for a kid that's never played there before, Try to get him up to speed as fast as they can. Get him as much experience as they can. But it's a thinking process they're going through in terms of how much do we need to have, have Gallipo uh, spell him. I think you'll see Gallipo spelling him more. But they were clearly trying to make sure that Kennard gets, you know, a, a baptism of fire, so to speak, and really gets to play middle linebacker a lot of plays because they think that's the only thing that – it's going to get him uh, up to game, uh, you know, up to game speed, and they've got a four-game, you know, pre uh, kind of pre-serious part of the schedule to do that. So uh, we'll see, but it's it's a big question on everybody's mind. All right. Well, thanks, Jim, for sending that in. Uh, this one's from Bill. We talked last segment, Coach. I mean, uh, Dan. Uh, Dan, we talked to the coach in the last segment about. Some of the negativity, we had a voicemail question. Bill had a, a similar question. I'll maybe get your thoughts on this. That Bill's concerned with the negative t- negativity, and he wants Lane Kiffin to kind of focus on the positive and go from there because he said after each game, it looks like Kiffin just had a root canal. Um, I think he wants Bill wants to see him more of a – just be a little bit more positive after the plays, and Matt Barkley kind of was like that, but some of the coaches weren't. Uh, he wanted to know if you think there's too much negativity coming from Coach Kiffin, or is that how most coaches are? Well, he, you know, I mean, you're thinking, gosh, uh, I'm listening to uh, uh, Nick Saban here. Uh, you know, I will say this. The players don't show it. You don't get that. I mean, when you talk to, you know, you mentioned Barkley or Kennard or Ronald Johnson or, or whatever, you do not get the sense that they're, you know, there's a, they're down. You don't get the sense that, you know, or Jarrell Casey, I mean, he was, you know, saying, man, I'm gassed for the second straight game, but I'm going to work on it and I'm going to get with the conditioning people and I'm going to be all right. And, you know, so there was kind of, uh, you know, Lane, I think the shock to Lane system watching was like, it was to ours. I mean, watching what happened with the defense in that first game, it was like he'd gotten hit in the head with a two-by-four. It's like, what did we just see? And Lane really reacts just that way. And then the second game, I think, you know, he was just so convinced they could do some things on offense. And, you know, that's his baby. And they didn't. They couldn't. You know, and then it ends up, you know, so close. And I think, you know, we catch Lane. And Lane doesn't seem to – be somebody who can kind of hide his feelings or he doesn't even try to not tell you what he's thinking. If he answers the question, he kind of tells you uh, how he sees it and he's pretty straight and he's pretty direct. And it seems like the players, you know, can handle that. They, uh, the players have not seemed to be down about things. They've seemed to be able to say, and I don't think Lane's down. He just tells you, you know, if, if they, performed or underperformed on one, you know, one, and I guess they so spectacularly underperformed on defense the first game, and then they reversed that, and as Lane said, flip-flop, spectacularly underperformed on offense the second game. Uh, It was just so obvious, he just said it, and that's how it comes across, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the players negatively. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, losing confidence or whatever. You don't get that sense. Uh, at times, you almost think <laughs> they're, they feel too good about themselves at times, which probably not a bad thing. Uh, but uh, that would be the worry I would have if, if, if it looked like it were really bringing the players down. I don't get that sense that it is. All right. Uh, thank you for that question. That was from... 
Bill. All right. So what I wanted to talk a little bit about, we mentioned this in the last segment, and you actually kind of mentioned it in your uh, answer right there, about the the team and, and the, the condition that they're in. And you got to talk to uh, Aaron Osmus, the uh, strength and conditioning coach, and they, they've set some records as far as weightlifting goes. It seems like there's definitely been a different shift. And if you look at the positives, I mean, they, they are, they're stronger. I mean, they're lifting more. Um, there's not as many injuries. And I don't know if you're going to attribute that to the conditioning or weight training or what, but they're, that's a fact. Yeah, I think Aaron is. Aaron was saying, I think it's really helped, uh, <clears throat> uh, the lifting more weight helps, uh, helps through your knees and your explosiveness and your ability to kind of, you know, avoid some of those, you know, kind of almost play your way through some, uh, you some know, collisions pain, and things like that. So he said, I think in the long run that, that really is a benefit, uh, you know, that way, but, but the negative you know, would be that their guys are tired at the end of the game. Yeah. But the, the guys are tired. That's what the, the negative thing is that people are saying that looks like guys are gassed at the end of the game. Just want to kind of get your thoughts and what, and what Osmus said about all of that. I mean, I, I also basically said, I think that some of that is just bad luck. Some of it is, you know, they've had a series of, uh, offensive penalties that have stopped drives that have made them, or they've had at the Hawaii game, they've had a couple of really quick strike touchdowns. So instead of, you know, giving the uh, defense some time off, you know, here they are back out on the field. They don't have a, a really uh, 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 big rotation at all on defense. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't play Fangupo the other day. They haven't, uh, you know, Nick Perry, uh, comes back and then isn't able to finish out the game. So and they haven't been willing, maybe yet, to pull the trigger quite on uh, Christian Thomas and Kevin Green at, at you know at defensive end. So you know they're going with basically you know four guys much of these games. And if they end up out on the field the extra three or four minutes at the end, because for whatever reason you know like in the Virginia game, USC gives the ball up. And, uh, you know, you get a long drive going at the end, and they're out there, and they are gassed. And uh, so Aaron said some of that probably is just a little bad luck, and some of it is, uh, you know, they're going to do. Clearly, yesterday was an example. It looked more like a peak practice, much higher tempo, faster pace, running from, you know, place to place, much more running in practice. Uh, And not, you know, it was so like, obvious running just the idea of everybody get your get as much running in as you can uh, uh i know aaron said they're going to do more running or more uh riding the bike for certain guys after uh, they do the weightlifting and some they're even going to do it if they think they need it like a jarell if jarell feels like he really needs it you know they'll do some of that after practice as well where he rides so instead of running on the field that a lot of people talked about how the coaches used to do it and that does get you more pounding. And again, especially for the big guys, that's a lot of pounding on your joints. Uh, you, uh, you end up riding the bike, uh, you know, inside after practice. And I think they're going to do more of that. And I think they're more aware of that. And because if you looked at the kids, you do see guys who, who are, uh, have, you know, sweat, like the uniforms of some of those big defensive linemen. I mean, they're just soaked through. Uh, and stuff you hadn't quite noticed to the same extent in years past. And, and I think that is a factor of, uh, they are bigger and stronger. They, there's no question about that. They, you know, they are, they have more muscle mass. Uh, and now you have to figure out how do we deal with that? If we end up in these games where, uh, where the defense really is going to be on the field for a long time and we don't have a, a great amount of, uh, you know, backup personnel to, to keep rotating through. Although I think the other option they're going to do is they're really going to work hard on, uh, on developing enough backup guys that they can put in the game. And this week is probably a good example of if uh, Perry's not there, you got two defensive ends that maybe you're going to see a whole lot more work that haven't, you know, with uh, Green and, uh, and Christian Thomas. I do think, though, we talked about red shirts. I think it makes it clear uh, the subject of uh, freshman George Yuko came up as a defensive tackle who looks like he could absolutely step in and help. There is no, he looks like, he doesn't look like a typical freshman. He's got a lot of ability. Uh, 
And Lane drew the line pretty much and said, no, we have to be able to redshirt guys like that. Uh, so they're not going to uh, put him in there right now, for example, even though he could probably play in there and probably contribute. They really do want to have him uh, as a redshirt and have, his, uh, have him one more year of, uh, of uh, eligibility if they uh, have to suffer the full sanction. So uh, Yuko was actually the name uh, – because he makes a lot of sense, uh, and and when you watch him in practice, he can you know he can play, and he can play right now, uh, and uh, he could contribute as, as a backup guy, but they're not going there yet. Yeah, the uh, you, the conditioning stuff is interesting, especially coming in this game against Minnesota. It was a team that can really hold the ball for a long time, even though they lost a, a pretty bad game last week. I mean, this is a team that can keep the defense on the field quite a bit so it's going to be a challenge for osmus and the trojans here because they they have been gassed if uh, the usc offense kind of stumbles a little bit and the minnesota offense can can hold the ball and pound the ball and, and run it then it could be really pro- a lot of problems for this usc defense well i guess the one one good thing is that the temperature is supposed to be 61 so that gets you i tell you know it's an earlier afternoon game but uh uh, temperature of 61, uh, probably uh, that's, that's kind of nice football weather, and I guess what 30% chance of, of rain would be interesting. But, uh, but I guess, uh, that, you know, the first game, you know, you're playing in, you know, 80-plus degrees and a lot of humidity. It seemed like there was a lot of humidity last week. Uh, it just seemed – but I'm guessing we might not have quite the same combination of, of weather factors at Minnesota, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, ideally, if USC could control the ball on offense a little more or, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, not, I mean, not having the penalties on offense would, gee, that would go so far, you know, not to get those. Uh, uh, and, and one of the factors you think about of them playing a little more uh, open offense, a little more two-minute offense, a little more, uh, you know, going no huddle, uh, it gives you a better chance to make up for penalties. Uh, if you're going to try to go, you know, uh, this typical balance, you know, run the ball, throw the ball, run the ball, and you keep getting 10 yard, you know, 15 yard penalties, it really makes it hard, uh, to make up for those. If you, now you got third and 18, uh, whereas if you're throwing the ball more and you've got guys out running deep patterns and things like that on, uh, a number of plays, for example, in a drive, you have bet maybe a better chance if you happen to get one of those penalties. Again, Lane, <laughs> when we asked about and combined the word penalty with uh, offensive strategies, Lane looked at you like said, "Penalty? What are penalties?" You know, he's not talking about them. Uh, he he's not kidding. He's not going to talk about them and see what see if that you know approach. Uh, I mean, they don't get. I mean, people say. Well, they need more officials. They've got officials at practice. You know, they do some, you know, occasionally. You know, yesterday, they, you know, Dylan Baxter got picked up and tossed uh, just like he did in the Virginia game, and they got penalized uh, uh, as opposed to, you know, Virginia did it and didn't get penalized. But uh, uh, they're, they're going to see what happens if they just, you know, they'll call them. They'll have the they You know, the officials are there just like they've always been. And, uh, and probably uh, – more, for example, Pac-10 type officials have been there at uh, at practices. They haven't had to throw a lot of penalty flags, uh, and uh, so you know this is a team that we are seeing things in games we don't see in the practice field. Probably that that speaks of of a team of a young team, not a lot of game experience, and they try to do too much in in, in games, and it's clearly. Uh, but, you know, for those of us, you know, you go to practice every day, we're like the coaches and shaking your head and saying, what are we looking at? We don't see that at practice, and we don't. I mean, that's the thing I think that's been the hardest for, for the coaches is what they see in these games they haven't really seen on the practice field. It's, it's, uh, so I think they've decided they just have to play more games and play their way into, into both game condition and game the ability to handle uh, psychologically, uh, you know, just let the game come to them and not try too hard, not try to make plays that they can't make. All right. Well, let's end the, let's end the podcast. Matt had a couple quick questions 
First one, do you think Barkley is a three-and-out guy, or will he come back for a senior season? Well, I think that's really – that's hard to say. I think that really is determined by so many other things other than um, – you know, a lot of it is determined by who else is coming out that year and uh, who are the teams that have, the, you know, the top picks and, and all that kind of thing. And the, I, and I the think rookie salaries, with, yeah. Yeah, the rookie salaries could be different with the, the Players Association. There's so many factors between now and then. That's really tough. Right. If they get a rookie salary cap like the year after or whatever, you know, you've got to be thinking guys are going to say, okay, I have to go out, you know. I mean, it might not even be a decision if uh, if they, you know, install something like that uh, in a particular year and you've got a chance to go out the year before it hits. Uh, I would think, you know, that makes your decision for you probably. Uh, so it's not all, you know, from Barkley's standpoint, what, what he wants to do. It could be decided by things outside completely, outside USC, outside Barkley. I mean, he might be in one of those things where, where he wants to go to a, a BCS and wants to go to a ball and, you know, that whole, you know, Tim Tebow experience and say, you know, I want to be there for USC uh, when we come back and um, we get a chance to, uh, to, uh, you know, to do that, which would be his senior year. All right. And then the last thing for Matt from Matt was, in your opinion, what do you think the possibility of the sanctions being reduced? It seems with all these other schools under scrutiny, it might help. USC's cause, and obviously giving back the Heisman, Reggie giving back the Heisman, USC's made a lot of concessions, at least it appears on the surface that they're trying to, you know, be contrite, and they're trying to say, hey, we're playing by the rules, maybe you could reduce the sanctions a little bit. You know, you wish you had a sense of that. You got a sense that the NCA penalized USC because they really, really were mad at them. Not because of, you know, your penalty was, you know, similar to this penalty or here was the precedent or whatever it looked like the ncaa had a temper tantrum about usc hopefully someone at the ncaa with a little sense is saying you know we really did go overboard that was unwarranted usc is doing everything it possibly can to uh show that it's not uh thumbing its nose at us it's not telling us to go you know take a flying leap uh they're trying as hard as they can. We need to try too, uh, because I'd be embarrassed if I were the NCA and had to, st- you know, stand behind those sanctions and say, "Well, here's the precedent," or "Here's the." Re-. I mean, they came up with all kinds of new rulings that they'd never used against anybody else, and never would use against somebody in the Southeastern Conference, for example. To be honest, they wouldn't. It's, it's not possible that they would have come up with those if that would have been Florida or Alabama or whatever. Uh, those, you, you know, one-of-a-kind, first-ever, uh, you know, high-profile athletes, uh, you know, looking at who's at practice. I mean, it's just em- embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I were in the NCAA. Hopefully, with the new president in, they have some ability to step back and say, you know, we really, really – embarrassed ourselves here and uh, we need to you know we need to act the way usc has acted and we need the you know the compromise that usc offered the halfway uh, one year probate one year bowl ban 15 scholarships total is probably uh you know i think if i'm a usc person i still think that's maybe a little harsh compared to you know when you think what it ultimately uh, you know happened at usc but you'd sure take it right now. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. You'd have to have more confidence in the NCA's ability to do things fairly and rationally and uh, professionally than we have probably right now. The more we have studied, probably you know nobody spent a lot more time going in the inside of this particular decision in this particular case than we have. The more we look at it, the more shocked we get sometimes at, at what the NCAA did. Uh, so uh, did they make so many mistakes that it forces them to be reasonable? Or did they make so many mistakes it forces them not to be reasonable because they don't want anybody really understanding what the heck they, they did to the USC? I don't know. I, think, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we know. I hope there's something else going on that we don't know about where people have said, what if, what if, and they say, yeah, 
that's that's the way it's going to go. But boy, I don't think we know. Uh, I really don't. I wish we did, but you know, I wish somebody could say, "Oh, the Reggie giving back the Heisman." That's just one more thing where the NCAA is saying, "Yes, he he got penalized and he got punished," and you know, the people who who did things, you know, are going to suffer. Uh, maybe. We'll see. All right. Well, Matt, thank you for that question, Matt, and thanks for the answers, Dan. We're going to end the podcast this week. It was a really long show, a good show, but hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. We got to talk about the Virginia game, talk about the upcoming game against Minnesota. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoyed it, as always. All right, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. Come back next week. We'll be talking about the Minnesota game and USC's upcoming trip to Washington State. Stay tuned for that, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 